This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Are you ready for an adventure this morning in God's Word? Now, I know David's done a, a big series on Moses recently, and we will be talking a little bit about Moses and about Joshua. But we're going to skip a number of things because David's recently covered a lot of things. So we will be skipping a number of things and we'll be looking at specific pointers that I want to bring to your attention this morning. The call of the believer is to fight. It's to fight the good fight of faith. I just want to put this right in context of what I'm talking about when I'm talking about inheritance this morning. In 1 Timothy 6 and 12, uh, don't, don't turn to this, but there will be a few scriptures to turn to this morning. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And in 1 John 3 and 8, we have um, the purpose of Jesus, in fact. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So we have to fight the good fight of faith. We have to destroy the devil's work. It's not like we're going to go into, into lands like the children of Israel and, 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 and you know, kill people and take over lands and say we're you know, claiming this for Christianity. Of course, we don't do that in this day and age. It's a fight of faith. These are spiritual battles that we fight. And taking hold of our inheritance is something that we're going to look at this morning. Turn with me to uh, Psalm 2. Just a, uh, one or two little verses here in Psalm 2, uh, verse 7. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You are my son, Jesus. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. The inheritance of Christ is the nations. Ultimately, when Christ returns, that's what he's going to receive. He's going to receive the nations as his inheritance. Of course, he's going to rule in the millennial kingdom. And of course, when there's a new heaven and a new earth, Christ is going to reign. He's going to have the nations and he will be the king. And we who are saved this morning will rule with Christ. We will also share in that inheritance. And that's clear in Romans 8. Let's just turn to it briefly, Romans 8. chapter 8 verse 16 I mean this is quite an amazing revelation in scripture here the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together joint heirs with Christ. So whatever is Christ's in inheritance, we also share in that inheritance. We are joint heirs with Christ. And to settle for anything less than our inheritance this morning is to, is to miss our divine purpose. 
we have an inheritance in Christ that is ultimately going to be fulfilled when we rule the nations with Christ. But there's, a, there's an inheritance now spiritually. There's ground to be taken in the spiritual battles that we face. There's a fight of faith that we are to fight. And that is what I want to focus on a little bit later this morning. But we're going to look at the history. We're going to look at the children of Israel. And we're going to go on a little bit of a journey with them this morning to see what way they entered the promised land that was promised to them. What way did the children of Israel take hold of the inheritance that was before them? And what stood before them on the way to getting that inheritance? So of course we start with God's promise to Abram to be the father of many nations and that God would promise him and his descendants a land of their own, the promised land, the land of Canaan. And he said that his, his descendants would increase and that is what happened, they did increase. And they ultimately ended up captive in Egypt for, I think it was around 400 years or so. And then, of course, God rose up Moses to lead them on an exodus out of Egypt and through the wilderness and ultimately to the promised land. And, of course, as I said, I'm, I'm, I've skipped over, goodness, uh, hundreds of years of stuff that we've, we've looked at before. But I just want to actually stop briefly at an incident at Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea. And this was the first attempt that God gave Moses to enter the promised land. And you know the story well. I mean, some of us grew up learning it in Sunday school when Moses sent out the 12 scouts into the land of Canaan to, to scout it out to see what was in the land. And of course, they, they went up. It would have taken about, it took 40 days for them to, to go up north into the land of Canaan and then to travel back down south again. They traveled around 500 miles. So they spent quite a number of days going through the land and sussing out the land of Canaan, these 12 tribal leaders of the tribes of Israel. So they went up and they saw giants and they saw fortified cities and they saw much produce of the land and much um, abundance of, of the of produce of the land. And even they stopped at the Valley of Eskol. They, they got a cluster <laughs> of grapes, and the grapes were so huge that it took two men to carry them on a pole. You know, it really was the land flowing with milk and honey that God had promised Abraham and his descendants. So they must have been amazed at that. But they were also amazed, in a, in a bad sense, at the giants, at the fortified cities, at the chariots of iron that just looked like, how could we go up against these chariots of iron? How could we destroy these, these giants? And they were giants. They were tall in stature. And, and it's thought that, that Goliath of Gath came from some of these tribes. There was Caleb and Joshua, of course, two of the scouts that went up that did not fear the giants, but they had faith and said, surely we can go up against them. So Moses wasn't really pleased whenever the scouts returned and of course said that there's giants and we're fearful of them and how can we possibly go up against them? And this fear was not good because this fear that, that of these giants that they allowed to control them ultimately ended in their death. Every, every man, 20, most of the men anyway, 20 and over, would have died in the wilderness. This was God's condemnation upon them for their, for their disobedience, for their lack of faith, and because they feared. And lesson number one, as we stop at Kadesh Barnea this morning on our, on our way through this journey when I go on, is that never allow the fear of the fight to rob you of your rightful inheritance in Christ. 
it is often the fear of the fight, the fear of the enemy, not even going up against the enemy, but just the fear alone, seeing the enemy and then coming back and going, whoa, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm saved and I'm born again, and, and, but, but going, going into all that Christ has for me, I, I'm sorry, but I'm not able to go up against those giants. I, I can't do that. And you know what? You're right, you can't, because only the Lord can fight those battles for you, which we're going to see shortly how that happens. If we allow fear to control us, we will find ourselves going around in spiritual circles in our lives. That's what will happen. It could be 20 years. It could be 40 years. And that's what happened to the children of Israel. They wandered now for another 38 years, wandered around the wilderness of Zin, the wilderness of Paran, the wilderness of Sinai, for 38 more years. And as I said, they ultimately died in the wilderness. Now, their children... Their offspring rose to adulthood, and that would be the second generation of the children of, of Israel. And they would be the ones that would enter the promised land in the course of time under the leadership of Joshua. So let's determine this morning, we will not allow the fear of the fight to rob you of our rightful inheritance, but we will go up and we will possess the land, and we will do it in the strength of the Lord. Because all the enemies that we face, the Lord will deliver them into our hand. If we have faith, if we look to our Lord and our God and we trust him to fight the battles for us, he will deliver us from one enemy at a time. That's what he will do. And that's what he did for the children of Israel. And that's what he'll do for you this morning. So let's take hold of our inheritance this morning. Now, after Kadesh Barnea and after, after 38 years in the wilderness, they came back to Kadesh and, and then they went up against uh, King Arad and King Sion and uh, King Og, uh, kings of the Amorites. So they would have traveled toward the east and they would have been trying to, they would have been trying to travel east and go up north east of the Jordan to kind of cross the Jordan eventually and enter into Canaan, to the promised land. But King Arad said, no, we're not going to let you pass. So they had to kind of go around, go around him. Uh, they ultimately, he attacked them and, and they defeated King Arad. And then they came up against King Sion. And again, Moses gave the Lord victory over King Sion. I mean, they hadn't even entered the promised land yet. Uh, they just actually wanted passage through. I think we'll turn to this. There's so many scriptures I could turn to this morning. I'm sort of picking a couple of different ones because I don't want to be all day looking at this. Uh, Numbers chapter 21. Uh, Verse 21. Chapter 21, verse 21. Then Israel sent messengers to Sion, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into the fields or the vineyards. We will not drink water from the wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sion would not allow Israel to pass through this territory. So Sion gathered all his people together and went out against Israel in the wilderness. And he came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. Then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok as far as the people of Ammon, for the border of the people of Ammon was fortified. So Israel took all these cities, and Israel dwelt in all the cities of the Amorites, in Heshbon and in all its villages. Let's just skip now down to verse 33. And they turned and went up by the way of Bashan, 
So Og, king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his people, to battle at Edri. Then the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand with all his people and all his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sion, king of the Ammonites, who dwelt in Heshbon. So they defeated him, his sons, and all his people, until there was no survivor left him, and they took possession of his land. You know, it's amazing how, uh, as we go up to take possession and take inheritance and wage spiritual warfare, that we'll often come up against a kind of a King Sion or a King Og. And I mean, King Og was tall in stature. King Og was at least nine feet tall, even up to 13 feet. That's pretty tall. So, I mean, King Og, even in his physical stature, was quite menacing to go up against. And I wonder this morning, have you ever faced a King Sion or a King Og? All you're wanting to do is pass through. You're just wanting to get through this next phase and, and get into everything that God has for you. But there stands King Sion and there stands King Og in front of you. And they came and attacked them. It wasn't like Moses said, right, we'll go up and attack Sion and King Og. They wanted to pass through. And Sion gathered his forces together and came and attacked the children of Israel in the wilderness. Have you ever been under attack in that sense, spiritually? Have you ever had a King Sion come up against you when you were just wanting to get on to the next phase of what God had and suddenly there's a mighty demonic force coming against you? And you know, I find it's often the case with the new believer that they'll make that first step. They'll cross the Red Sea. They'll, they'll be out of the captivity of Egypt. They'll be saved. They'll be through a kind of a, a wilderness time where they're just kind of getting to grips with, well, what is the Christian faith and what am I supposed to do and how and everything? And then suddenly, demonic force comes up against them. King Sion. King Sion comes up against them because he wants to wipe them out. That's, what, that's the pattern you see with every new believer is that a kind of a king Sion comes up against them to wipe them out. And we need to pray for and we need to um, support new believers, and in spiritual warfare, in intercession, because that's what the enemy's going to try to do. Before they get up to possess their inheritance, before they come into the land of Canaan, the enemy will try to wipe them out. But if you're new in Christ this morning, this is an encouragement to you, because Moses had the victory over this king through the power of the Lord. And if you're up against something and you're, you're you're new to the Christian faith and you've been following Jesus for a short period of time, I encourage you to keep pressing in, keep pressing into his word, keep surrounding yourself with the people of God so that they can encourage you in this fight. And you will defeat King Sion, and then you will face King Og. You'll face another battle, uh, but you will win, you will overcome. And as we fight each of these battles one at a time, our faith in the Lord rises and realizes, oh, wow, that God will deliver me. God has got my back. He is going to give me victory. And of course, Moses went up and the Lord said, I will deliver King Og into your hand just as I did King Sion. So he must have went up with a lot more faith and destroyed King Og. The next phase I want to look at this morning is... Pardon me, before, before I, I talk about a couple of the tribes, of, of the 12 tribes of Israel, there was one more battle, the battle of the Midianites. And of this battle, Moses went up against the Midianites again, another victory. The Lord gave the Midianites into the hand of Moses. And there was a lot of plunder. There was a lot of possessions. There was, was 650,000 sheep. There was hundreds of thousands of donkeys, hundreds of thousands of goats. And there was silver and there was gold. And there was a lot of spoils of war that came from this battle against the Midianites. And it was distri distributed amongst the tribes. Now, at this time, 
Reuben, the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad, and the, and the half-tribe of Manasseh was to eventually join them in this, in this request to Moses. They requested that they, they actually stay east of the Jordan, and because they saw that the land of Gilead that they had just won from King Sihon, King Og, was good for pasture. And they actually went up and, and requested that, could we actually remain here and settle here and let the other tribes go west, let them cross the Jordan and enter the Promised Land? Let's read about this in Numbers chapter 32. Numbers chapter 32, verse 1. We won't have time to read all of this, but we'll, I'll pick some little bits of it out. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Ataroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimram, Heshbon, Eleah, Shabam, Nebo, and beyond, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Therefore they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. I find that a little bit concerning, and Moses did also find it concerning, because the very promise was the land of Canaan originally, and they paid a very big price at Kadesh Barnea when the scouts went up and they came back in fear apart from Caleb and Joshua, and that generation died in the wilderness. They'd already paid a big price for their compromises, for their disobedience, and here's Reuben and Gad, the tribes of Reuben and Gad, requesting Moses that they do not enter Jordan. It just seems un unthinkable. And Moses ultimately agreed. That's interesting as well that he didn't say that he sought the Lord, because a lot of times in Scripture when, when uh, one of the judges or the prophets or, or one of the kings sought the Lord and then they got an answer back from God, Moses just made a decision. He says, yes, um, he was concerned at the start and, and worried that uh, it would dishearten the children of Israel, and maybe none of them would cross the Jordan. If, that was, if we're going to let you settle east of the Jordan, then the rest of them will become discouraged. But then he says, okay, well, if you go across the Jordan and fight with the other tribes and win victory in the land of Canaan, then you can come back over and settle, and you can build fortifications, and you can keep your children and your wives and your cattle safe first before you do these battles, and then when the battles are over and we have the victory, you can come back across and settle. So ultimately, Moses did allow it, and the reality is that God blessed them in that land. Even though they settled east of the Jordan, even though they didn't enter in to the original promised land, if we look even at the, the boundaries of the promised land, and I'll just read them out here of Numbers and Ezekiel. Uh, in Numbers it says, uh, the boundary will go down from the Shephath and Ribla on the east side of Ain and continue along the slopes east of the Sea of Kinnereth. Then the boundary will go down along the Jordan and end at the Salt Sea. This will be your land with its boundaries on every side. That's quite clear. And Ezekiel 47 and 18, on the east side, the boundary will run between Haran and Damascus along the Jordan, between Gilead and the land of Israel to the eastern sea and as far as Tamar. This will be the east boundary. So these boundaries were pretty, pretty clear. 
Sidlow Baxter, Jay Sidlow Baxter, has just a little comment on this. And he says, it seemed advantageous to stay east of the Jordan amidst the good pasture of Gilead, but it was an eyesight choice. It was choosing after the flesh instead of staying strictly in the will of God. And the last night, I think, in this, pausing here at, at Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, at this point before they enter Jordan, is that we can allow the blessings of past victories to distract us from the territory ahead. And that's what happened here, is they had so much spoils of war, as I said, that they had from the battle over the Midianites. But those blessings can become a distraction. We often think, yeah, blessings are from the Lord, and maybe, maybe some of the blessings are. Maybe some of them are man-made blessings. But either way, no matter if, if God's blessed you or not, those blessings are not, you, you don't, we don't rely on those you know, to, to determine the future. We, we're not going to have future victories based on current blessings. Blessings are just blessings. They're wonderful and they're great, and we, we pray for them. But we still have a territory to get. We still have battles to fight. And, and the concern, I think, for us today is that we settle east of the Jordan, that we could settle in, our, in a comfort zone of sorts and not go up and continually fight the battles of faith that God has for us because we could allow the blessings that are in our lives to ultimately distract us from that fight. But the, the challenge this morning is to take hold, to go up and take hold of your inheritance and not allow today's blessings to, to get in the way. Today's blessings just don't guarantee tomorrow's victories. What does blessings have to do with, with victories? That's just the result and the fruit of, of, of past victories. A couple of other little... Um, issues that I see with Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh settling east of the Jordan is that they were far from the worship center. When the Canaanites, when the children of Israel went into Canaan and destroyed the enemy uh, and took over the territory under the leadership of Joshua, they, they were to set up a worship center in Shiloh. And this was a, a tabernacle a kind of a tent of meeting of sorts, although it was more permanent. It had wooden doors and wooden panels because it was to do them a number of hundred years in, in that region that they were for them to go up and observe the feasts and to take their sacrifices and so on and so forth. Well, you imagine settling east of the Jordan and the Jordan River sweat, sw sw swell? Swollen? <laughs> That's a tricky one. Someone can correct me later. It swells a couple of times a year. The Jordan River swells a couple of times a year. How would they, so, you know, those tribes that settled east, well, they're going to be very busy with the sheep. They've got a lot of sheep, and they're, they're shepherds, obviously. Are they going to go and travel over the Jordan a couple of times a year and go to the worship center? going to be a little bit more difficult than the other tribes, whereas the other tribes all had easier access to the worship center at Shiloh. And again, our blessings can distract us from that worship center. It can distract us from the worship center in our personal lives, all of the things that sometimes that God has wonderfully given us can get in the way of that um, focus that we need to have on the worship of, of our Lord and our God. And in a, in a corporate sense as well, church-wise, it can distract us from, from church. It can distract us from coming each week to the house of God and being involved in other church activities, which is all a form of worship to God. It should never be we're doing it to um, get points with God. It is what we're doing by coming to church is that it's an act of worship. When we go to cell group, it's an act of worship. When we go to the prayer meeting, it's an act of worship. When we volunteer for the Christmas outreach or for something that's happening, it's an act of worship. 
Let's stay close to the worship center. Let's not settle for less. We've got an inheritance in Christ, and I, I, want, I want us to go up and take hold of it as a church. Let's, let's make sure that together as a unified body in MPC that we're going up and we are together like the children of Israel taking hold of our inheritance. We're settling for nothing less. Moses would, in fact, of course, die east of the Jordan. He would die on Mount Nebo. He wouldn't enter into Canaan because he struck the rock twice at Kadesh, the second time they were at Kadesh. He struck the rock twice and, uh, to make water come out of it. And uh, he did it in anger. And the Lord's uh, condemnation on him was that he would not enter the promised land, although he would see it, but he would not enter it. And, and ultimately, Joshua would become Moses' successor. And Joshua would lead Israel into the land of Canaan. And Joshua would lead the fights and the, the battles that were ahead. So entering the promised land, we've been, we stopped at Kadesh Barnea. We've seen what happened to the 12 spies. Two of them had faith. Ten of them uh, were recoiled in fear. One generation of the Israelites died in the wilderness. Now the next generation are going to go up and possess the land under the leadership of Joshua. What were they to do in this land? Well, they were to drive out the enemy. They were to physically go in and kill the enemy. And you might say, goodness, that's very violent and things like that. But God is a just God. And this was God's judgment on all the Jebusites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and all the ites that were in that land. This was God's judgment. He was using the children of Israel to judge these people. I'm not even going to speak of the practices that they did, the idolatrous and the sinful practices that they did, but it was, it was probably beyond anything. I mean, child sacrifice is one of them, but it will not go any further than that. So God was going to judge them with the children of Israel. So the Lord would fight for them. The Lord would fight for them, which we've, we've looked at this morning. You're getting the picture, I hope. The Lord would fight for them and would give them the victory. And you know what? As I said at the very start, the, the purpose of Jesus was ultimately to destroy the works of the devil. That's the ultimate purpose of Jesus. And he obviously did that in an, in an ultimate sense on the cross. But you look at the casting out of the demons, of the healing of people. Everything was, that he was doing was to destroy the work of the devil. And, the, and Joshua and the children of Israel were about to go in and destroy these idols and cast these pagan idols down and kill these enemies. And, and you and I are to do the same. We're to destroy the works of the devil. That's our ultimate call and purpose. Apart from worshiping and glorifying God with our lives, which is the absolute purpose and reason that we exist, but we do that by destroying the works of the devil, and that's part of our inheritance. We've been given the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, power that's greater than the enemy has. We've been commanded to go out into all the world and preach the gospel and to make disciples of the nations. So we have an inheritance in that sense to go up and possess. Joshua would first face Jericho. We know that story well. Uh, uh, I mean, sometimes I read that to Jackson going to bed at night, and we've, we've um, listened to that story many times in Sunday school, and I'm sure David has covered that in more detail many times in the church here, this battle for the city of Jericho, where they marched around the city seven times, and they blew the trumpets, and they shouted, and the walls came down miraculously. The Spirit of the Lord brought those walls down, and they went in, and they had victory over the, the city of Jericho. And whatever city, whatever fortification is in your life, there could be something internally, there could be something in Moira in the sense of spiritually that we should be praying for, that we should be taking authority over. As I said, there could be something internally for you. There could be a, 
a fortress in the way of you fulfilling your destiny. But let's encourage each other that through the strength of the Lord, we can go up against Jericho. And we, we will, there will come a point where we will give a mighty shout and the Lord will bring that wall down. And it won't be the end because it wasn't the end for Joshua. In fact, the fortress that he faced at Jericho was the first of many battles. He would go up against Ai, the five kings of the Amorites, Makeda, Libna, Lachish, Gezer, Eglon, Hebron, Debir, and the Northern Confederation, and finally Hazor. And when he finished all of those conquests, he went up, he had victory over the whole entire land. Let's just turn to that in Joshua 11. Am I going too fast for you this morning, or are you all keeping up okay? Getting a few nods there. Joshua chapter 11, verse 23. I just like reading this little verse. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses. And Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel, according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. And one day we will rest from war when the Lord returns, as I said earlier, <clears throat> and establishes himself as the king of the nations. There will come a time uh, after the millennial kingdom that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, as it says in um, 2 Peter 3.13, according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Revelation 21 and 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And a wonderful promise in Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. As the waters cover the sea, the glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will be on the earth. And I believe that we will reign in this new heaven, in this new earth, with Christ as the king. And we will rest from this spiritual war that we face. But for now, we have a spiritual battle to fight. And in the last segment of this morning, we're going to look at how to um, engage in this battle on a practical level. How does all of this, all of these stories about the Israelites and their battles, how does that all relate to us today? What does that mean? How am I supposed to, what do I do with this as I go into my week? I mean, that's good to know. But I'm, I'm really not someone who really is into history, but I'm into history if it has an application for now. If it's biblical history and it applies now, that matters to me. But history, if I was to give you just the history and then step down, I don't think that's any use. So we're going to go to the, the last segment of this morning. We're going to actually see how this applies to us. <coughs> Ephesians 6 and 12 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Against the rulers, we wrestle against the powers, we wrestle against world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. It is not flesh and blood nowadays. It is not real people that we go up against. And you may think, well, yeah, I know someone in work who came up against me. But you know what? If you're a believer and that came with an intensity, it wasn't just a, something that you just, it was just a brief thing. You just, oh, I don't care about that. If it came and really bugged you, that's a spiritual thing. That isn't even them. They're not even, it's, it's, they're being used. It's, they're being used, I guess, of the devil, but you don't want to go saying that, you know. <laughs> but let me tell you, you feel it, don't you? You know, get thee behind me, Satan. 
you know, it is actually true. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The believer today is up against a barrage of attacks from the enemy. That is just the reality of the spiritual battle. And, and I think in my own life, the, the, when I began to realize that and acknowledge that, that's when the Lord was able to give me more victories in small ways than what I had before. Because I acknowledge that there is a fight, and the fight wages day and daily. Now, there may be days when you don't really feel, or there, you don't feel the fight, but there is a spiritual fight. There's a spiritual fight against principalities and powers that does go on because we're still in this dispensation. We're not in heaven yet with the Lord. So the, all this stuff is going on. So first of all, we need to acknowledge that. Let me read a couple of other things, Second uh, Corinthians 10 and 3. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. The destruction of fortresses, just like Jericho. But it's spiritual. It's spiritual forces of wickedness that we go up against. And we have power, divine power, that can destroy fortresses. So we need to go up and possess our inheritance this morning. We need to realize that we have the authority to speak against the enemy and to destroy fortresses. As I said before, whether that's nationally, whether that's uh, just citywide, whether it's within ourselves, or whether it's just as a church, we do uh, have, have the authority in Christ to go up and pray in the name of Jesus and to see these fortresses crumble before us. Um, Luke chapter 22, 31. Again, I'm just going to read it for you. I have a couple of other scriptures for you to turn to in a minute. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. This is the ultimate purpose of Satan. It's like the opposite of Jesus. The ultimate purpose of Satan is to destroy us. He wants to sift us like wheat. And the ultimate purpose of Jesus is to destroy the works of the devil. So recognize this one thing. It is a fight between God's word and Satan. It isn't a fight against you and Satan. And the problem is if we make that mistake, we'll fail. We won't win the battles that ahead. We've got to recognize this is a spiritual battle that is against the word of God and Satan. The wilderness temptations. When Jesus went up, when Satan came against Jesus and he'd fasted for 40 days, physically Jesus was at the end of himself in that sense. He needed something greater. Now, he was the word, so it's a bit strange. He was the word, but yet he needed the word. But, of course, the important thing is the word came up out of him and he spoke the word. This was a battle between the word and Satan. And, of course, Jesus overcame. The word overcame. It's no different for us today. It's no different. It's the word of God against Satan. Let's get that right in our fight this week and our fight next week and leading on. Let's arm ourselves with the word of God and let's go up against those accusations, as it says in Revelation uh, 12 and 10. The accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses before our God day and night has been hurled down. Amen. But he's, right now he's the accuser of the brethren. And it's interesting when you're going through your week because you'll be having thoughts coming at you. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. Oh, I'm, I'm a failure. I'm this. Or I can't do that. Or I can't do this. And it, and it can discourage us and it can drag us down. But the devil's very clever. He can often speak in the first person vernacular. He's not going to say, I'm the dirty, rotten devil. I'm going to kill you today. Although he may say that. But he's very deceptive. 
He's going to come in with discouragement. He's going to come in with negative things about our lives because he's the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. He accuses us day and night. And the word of God is the only thing that, that we can raise up against that accusation. And it works. The word of God's powerful enough that it works. Let's turn to Ephesians 6. chapter 6 verse 10 finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day having done all stand Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the word of the Spirit, sword of the Spirit, apologies, which is the word of God praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So of course we know well the armor of God. We've heard it many times and that is important that we put that on each day, that we put on that belt of truth, that we arm ourselves with some sort of scripture or scriptures or truth so that we've got an answer, an immediate answer for the enemy. We need to literally have something right there that whenever those accusations come, or those temptations come, we've got something powerful to counteract that with. And it's our inheritance to, to live like this. It's part of our destiny to live with authority in Christ and to not be trampled over by the devil. So don't be um, too timid in going up against the enemy in the name of Jesus and with his word. Know that the Lord will give the enemy into your hand time and again. So that element of this spiritual fight that we're up against today is really in a defensive realm. We're defending against a kind of a, a King Sion or a King Og that comes up against us because we're just trying to get through our normal day, aren't we, and, be, and achieve everything God wants for us. And, and, and then these things are coming against us. So these are defensive things that God has given us to defend. But a believer who truly goes up and possesses their inheritance is someone who goes on the offensive. Not only are you defending, but you're going on the offensive. And when the children of Israel went on the offensive, they destroyed the enemy, but they were commanded to cast down the idols that were before them. And this is probably the biggest challenge for us this morning. Because we don't like talking about things we need to get rid of in our lives, do we? We just don't like it. We don't like the Lord pinpointing things that need to go or things that need to change. But what if the children of Israel just left those idols in place and, and they kept the cities and they kept them the same names? Because some of them were named after the, the gods that they worshipped. What if they didn't rename the cities? What if they didn't break the idols? And they sort of, I'll just leave that there and I'll leave that one there. And so that altar, uh, it doesn't really bother me. I'll just get used to it. But you know what would have happened? They would have eventually began to worship those 
gods and those idols. And of course, they actually failed to ultimately drive out the enemies from every corner. And in the end, they turned to idolatry. And in the end, they were um, taken over by enemies, which we don't have time to, to go into. But maybe at another time, we can, we can take this part of the story and go on into the next segment of it. But for us today, the first thing, if we're really going to go on the offensive spiritually, we, we do need to drive out idols from our lives. <coughs> and the enemy is so subtle. There's bound to be something in our hearts and lives this morning that God wants us to remove. It's just sometimes small things. There's always a level of deception. There's always something God wants to deal with or do. Otherwise, we're in perfection. We've made it, and we couldn't have made it yet So until we be with him. So we've got to be honest about casting down idols. And they're often idols of the heart, but they could be physical things as well. Like an idol could be pride. Idol today, especially in the West, especially in this materialistic society that we live in, in this part of the world, possessions can be idols. And it's interesting because someone on this side of the church could have a possession that could be an idol in their heart. And someone on this side has the same possessions, but it's not an idol to them. Because only God knows whether it's an idol to you or not. But someone over on this side could have an idol of pride, and it's not, it's not obvious to others, or, you know, in the sense of it's not a physical thing. But someone on this side could have a physical thing, and it'd be an idol. So we can't judge each other, and we shouldn't look at each other and say, yeah, but look at the way she's acting over there, or the way she was talking last week. And look what he's got, look at them things that he just got recently. That's a disgrace. The people of God shouldn't have all of those sorts of things. But that's absolutely not our, <laughs> that's not our place, is to judge God's people. Let God bring to our hearts this morning whatever it is that is an idol in our hearts. It could be self it could be uh, I this and I that, and it could be in a positive sense, I'm great and I'm wonderful, look at me and everything else, or it could be I'm nobody, I'm, I'm pathetic, I'm, I'll never amount to anything. And what is all of that? It's I, 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 but it's not him. And we can go through a Christian life with an idol of self, because the focus is on us and it's not on him. It could be rules and religion. We can take the teaching of the scriptures and we can apply all the rules and none of the grace and we can, we can have a completely unbalanced look and go through our Christian life with all of these rules, not realizing that Jesus came to fulfill, for example, the law. And the laws of God are written on our hearts and the spirit of God within us is that which enables us to walk in a manner that is right before him. It's his power in us that causes us to walk in a way that is appropriate for a believer. What about fear and worry and hatred and bitterness? These can become idols in our lives where they just take primary place <laughs> over and above the, our focus and our worship of the Lord. So what do we do? Do we try harder? How do we actually remove these idols from our lives? One little verse that sort of popped out to me was Colossians 3 and 1. Let's just look at that. And I'm going to try to finish up quickly here. I don't want to keep you too much longer. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, 
seek those things which are above. Where Christ sits on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So this scripture really is a mixture of, it's a, it's a revelation about being dead, buried with Christ in his burial and being risen in newness of life with Christ. And really the life that we now live in Christ is hidden. And we're commanded to set our affections on things above. And that's how we will even recognize that there's an idol in our heart. When we begin to set our affections on the things of the Lord and look heavenward, that's when God's able to reveal, oh, you know what, yeah, maybe that jet ski was going to get, maybe that's not, maybe that's going to kind of distract me from the things of God. Is that right, Michael? No, that's my thing. No, <laughs> just kidding. But whatever it is, it could be a possession. Sorry for those jet ski owners out there. But it's something I joke with Tessa about Get oh, wouldn't it be great to have a uh, jet ski for the lake? But the reality is it's never going to happen. <laughs> you know? But um, whatever it is, um, it is only setting our affection on things above that will cause us to realize you see this fear and this worry and this anxiety. God, I've got to give it over to you. I've got to cast this down. It's become an idol in my heart. And it's taken place of you being on the center, you being on the throne where you belong the throne of my heart. You're not on the throne of my heart, and I need to put you on the throne of my heart. So it's setting our affections. But as I said, I think we're not going to get there unless we get a revelation about being risen in life with Christ. Like whenever you got saved, there was a work, there was something changed on the inside of you. But you've still got the same body, and I've still got the same body. And this makes us sort of feel like, well, I'm sort of the same person. But when I got saved, I'm still me. I'm still the same person. Because there's no sort of outward change as such, but there has been an internal change. But do you know that the life that you now live as a believer, it's, that life you used to live is dead. You see, what Christ did at the cross was outside. It was so spiritually significant that it was outside of time. It touches all of eternity, what he did at the cross. So it's like Christ just died now. Christ just rose now, spiritually. Because it's, it, it did happen as an, an event, what, 2,000 odd years ago. But... It applied to you. The moment you put faith in Christ, it was applied to your life. You became the righteousness of God in Christ. You became a new creature. Old things were passed away. It doesn't say all things became new. Everything inside of you in your spirit became new. And that, that is a revelation that we need to grasp a hold of. If we're going to set our affections on the Lord, if we're going to truly take hold of our inheritance, let us come to that point of realizing the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died for me and gave his life for me. You don't live, the life you're living right now is through the power of Christ. It's through his very spirit. You're united with the Lord on the inside. The scriptures say you're united with God. Let's read that again. If ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you're dead. You're dead. And your life, your, your life that you now live as a believer is hidden with Christ in God. That's one of the most amazing mysteries, is that you're actually living a life now that is hidden with Christ in God. Just recognize that this morning that I guess getting up every day and I guess recognizing that will help us to, 
to walk in that way where we know that this, I'm dead, I'm dead to the, the things of the world and the things of sin, and I'm alive in Christ. And you wonder, well, well I, I compromise, I do things that are wrong. I thought that I was dead to the things of sin. I thought that uh, I was alive now to the Spirit. Your mind just hasn't caught up yet. You need to renew your mind, and I need to renew my mind. And that's what we've got to realize. Whenever we fail and we let God down, we go back to the Lord. We turn, we go back to him, we go back to his word and realize, I've got to catch up here. I've I got to renew my mind because at the end of the day, I'm alive with Christ. I was never alive to sin. I was never alive to that, that thing that I did or, or that mistake that I made, say, last week or the other day. I'm dead to those things. I'm alive to Christ. It, it, we need more renewal in our minds, but we don't have time to look, look at that whole subject today. So the challenge this morning is to go up and it is to possess that everything that God has for us and is to take hold of our inheritance this morning. Are you encouraged this morning? We have an authority to root out the enemy in our lives. We have a commission to spread the good news of the gospel. Christ will return and he will fulfill everything. Let's not settle for anything less than our inheritance. Let's fight the good fight of faith. Let's destroy the work of the devil and let's spread the message of the kingdom. Let's worship and glorify God with our lives and take hold of our inheritance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and for this Father's Day morning again. And we look to you. We choose to set our affections on you. Whatever isn't right in our hearts and lives over these coming days and weeks, God, would you take us on a journey to discover them as we enter Canaan, as we take hold of our inheritance, as we go up against the enemy in the name of Jesus, and as we come across idols, idols that really don't belong to us. They belong to the, the ones that dwelled before us. They belong to the enemy. They belong to Satan. They don't belong to us. Help us, Lord, to give us the grace and the strength, Lord, to cast them from us, God, because we truly want to go up and possess the land, Lord, in its entirety, Lord, and fulfill everything that you have for us. And we look forward to the day when you return, when you will set up your kingdom, Lord, and we will rule with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.